This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yes, Carlson, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, my co-host, Brian Kong. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. We are locked and loaded for another fantastic episode coming up. But first off, we need to all let you know that somebody is about to keep Carlson for life, better than any of us have ever gotten. Sorry to break everyone's hearts who's listening. Eric Carlson is engaged. Fantasy hockey headline number one. Eric Carlson is engaged. Look out for the year he has a child. That's going to be a rough one. Uh-oh. Hopefully that doesn't come soon. Hopefully that we won't be keeping Carlson in that year. But yeah, Melinda Curry is keeping Carlson for life. Hopefully. Wish them the best. Very exciting. We've got a big episode for you. This is like going to be the happiest thing we're going to tell you about today. Because next we're going to talk for an hour about all of your players being injured. So a little bit of happiness. A little bit more, I, I can tell you that we are presented by DabberHockey.com. So that's good news because that's the best fantasy hockey website out there. I use it all the time. I go there every day. I love the daily ramblings, get a full write-up of everything that happened the day before. And if they think that players are sustainable, not sustainable, all of that. Plus, you've got your line combos, your starting goalies, basically everything you need to manage your team. The player profiles, I love DabberHockey.com. Yeah, and if you ever need a second opinion, of course, there's our patron Facebook group. But over at Dabber Hockey, there's a whole forum full of people eager to offer you information, which is a really a nice social feature of the website. It's a very big site. There's a lot going on there. I probably don't even know about all the features, especially once you get into their frozen pool tools. Anyway, okay, Brian, let's bring it down a little bit because this week has been insane. Like this has been a weird, weird week and so many big stars have gotten injured. So many players overall, but just the number of actual stars, top players on their teams going down has been shocking. There was a patron of the podcast who had all three of the first three I'm going to mention. And the first one, maybe the biggest, I guess you could tell me if you disagree, but Steven Stamkos underwent successful arthroscopic surgery to repair a lateral meniscus in his right knee on Thursday, and he's going to be out for four months, which is like, what are we in November, December, January, February? March. It's like basically to the end of the season. Maybe he'll be back for the playoffs. That doesn't help you in fantasy. This is brutal news. And he was having such an amazing season. Nine goals, 11 assists, and 17 games played. 20 points in 17 games. Oh, this is the Stamkos that you were drafting for saying, you know what? I think Stamkos is going to bounce back. I think he's going to be great. You were right. You were so smart, and you get punished. Brutal, brutal. Oh. I'm so sad. I don't even have him, and I feel so bad. So anyways, Samkos is out. What does this mean for the other Tampa Bay players? Maybe it means Tampa Bay is going to have to step up, and all these guys are going to have to start chipping in. Like, 
since Sampros went down, they've defeated Buffalo 4-1 to and Philly 3-0. The Lions have been jumping around all over the place. Like, definitely we can't say, oh, this guy's going to be playing with Kucherov because, like, who knows? But I can tell you, Tyler Johnson has three points in his last three games. Andre Palat, who has been so quiet, he had a goal and assist against Philly. Drew in his back, he had a goal and assist in his two games back. Phil Pula is getting points. He has four assists in his last three games. Alex Killorn is getting points. Nemesnikov had an assist yesterday. All of these Tampa guys who were always like cycling in and out of our lineups, except for, I guess, Johnson and Palat, who we just hold in our lineups and tear our hair out when they don't produce when we think they should. It's like everyone is producing right now. So, Brian, I guess that's a lot to throw at you, but it's like a lot of potential players to benefit from the Stamp Coast injury. Do you think that like kind of all these guys benefit because it's just an extra spot for these guys to get in on the power play and in the top six? It's truly amazing how one guy leaving the lineup can open so much opportunity for so many other people. There's so much secondary and even tertiary scoring on the Lightning that once they need to rely on it, when their point-per-game guy goes, hopefully it comes through for them. You know, we bemoaned the mediocrity of Palat and Johnson for pretty much the entire first month of the season. But with Stamkos out, maybe this is the kick they need to get going. They've both seen an uptick in minutes. Palat saw a season-high 80% share of his team's power play time in Saturday's game against Philadelphia. Both these guys may have been dropped in your league if our tweeters and patrons are any indication. We've had a lot of questions. Should I drop Palat for this guy, Johnson for this guy? Now's the time to move them onto your watch list if not onto your roster. Now, Jonathan Druin is a guy who I'm most interested in watching right now. He had five points in 10 games to start the year. His return from a presumed concussion coincided with Stamkos' departure from the lineup. And remember that in Druin's coming out party during last year's playoffs, Stamkos was out of the lineup then as well, and Druin was left to run the show on the power play and pretty much in all situations. Then we look at the other guys, maybe the more tertiary guys like Phil Pula, Kilorn, Nemesnikov. They're all going to get a little bump as they are going to need to step up a little more as Tampa scores by committee. And on a team like Tampa where everything's always being shuffled around, expect these guys to have fluctuating value over the next while, but with higher floors than they would with Stamkos healthy. One guy who made a big impression his first year in Tampa when Stamkos was out with his injury back in 2013-14, Valtteri Filpula, he stepped up huge that year. He had 58 points in 75 games his first year in Tampa. Stamkos, again, he missed 45 that year. Filpula had a point-per-game pace for a lot of the time that Stamkos was out, also a little bit before and after Stamkos was out. So even with Stamkos in the lineup, I, I think that was just a really good year for Filpula. I was also going to throw in a don't forget that Ryan Callahan is coming back soon too, except he has been back. 11 games, a goal, an assist, 15 shots, 31 hits. So at least he's helping you there. Averaging three minutes less of time on ice per game than he was last year. But since Stamkos has been out, Callahan has seen his two highest time on ice totals of the year. Still in the bottom six role at the moment. Uh, pretty fantasy irrelevant. Just putting his name out there because I was about to disparage him terribly. And I think even if he does get into the top six, if Stamkos isn't there, then he's going to get you two, three hits a game. And that's really all you can rely on him for. 
Well, I mean, if he's playing with someone like Nikita Kucherov, like it really depends. Kucherov is also having himself a year, right? 22 points in 18 games. He's like just as big of a star as Stamkos at this point, in my opinion. So it, like these lines change so often. I think if Callahan's in the top line, like getting on the top power play, he's probably worth adding if your league counts hits, of course, because at least you're going to get those in maybe a point or two. But yeah, it's, it's interesting, Brian, because all of these guys, normally when a big star player gets injured, aside from like the one guy who maybe takes his place, you know, when Brian Little went down last year and then Shifley took over, like that was an obvious benefit. But Usually we talk about people getting hurt because they're losing this like all-star centerman. But here you're saying if Johnson and Palat were dropped, now's the time to add them to your watch list and maybe add them back. So it really just depends on the team. And I guess Tampa's the kind of team where they're now going to have to spread around their offense a bit more. And maybe there'll be more points to go around for more players. Of course, at the same time, it's been like a couple of games. We'll have to see how things shake out. It's very possible that Palat will go back to doing absolutely nothing for the next 10 games. But yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely interesting to watch. There's another injury on Tampa, actually. Anton Strahlman has been injured for a bit, and he was having a decent season, seven points in 15 games played. So I was checking to see. I assume that means that Hedman must be getting, like, all of the power play time. But actually, last game, he only had 20% of the time. The majority went to Nikita Nesterov, who, by the way, has two goals and one assist in his last three games played, including a power play goal. Should Hedman owners be worried? Like, he's still having a good year and putting up points, but I guess with him, it's always the case. He's never getting the power play time, even with Strawman out. And I guess, should people be looking at Nikita Nesterov as a potential short-term ad? If Hedman owners have never had to be worried with Strawman in the lineup, then they don't need to be worried with Strawman out of the lineup. Let's just call that a blip something that happened, maybe Hedden was injured or, you know, the power play was just owning the zone for the duration of the power play. So maybe Nesterov could be good for, you know, 30, 35 point pace for as long as he's there for Strawman. Uh, he has seen four consecutive games with 45% or more of Tampa's power play time on ice share. So that's positive, maybe a good depth add, but it won't last beyond the time that Strawman's out. Strawman's already missed uh, four or five games, might miss another four or five it's pretty unclear he's day-to-day right now so I think you should only be making that move if you're in a league without transaction limits right yeah bring Nesterov in for a game or two if you have room on your roster and you want to get someone who might be able to get you you know a power play point maybe if he's getting all the power play time with Nikita Kucherov and that whole band of other guys we've talked about one other guy I want to talk about since we're on Tampa Bay we have to go in nets and talk about Andre Vasilevsky he had himself a week he's had he's writing two straight shutouts right now and he had one goal against the game before that so he's on quite the hot streak overall Vasilevsky now has a 953 save percentage in seven games in the season compared to Bishop's 909 save percentage you know at the beginning of the year it was assumed it was just going to be two games for Bishop one game for Vas and that's how it was going to go all season but Vasilevsky has outplayed Bishop so far and obviously small sample size but I'm just curious what you think Brian like if you're a Bishop owner right now do you need to be worried that you're maybe going to start losing games to Vasilevsky and and if you're a Vasilevsky owner I don't know I feel like now's a great time to have him especially if he's like your third goal like sometimes you get people asking if they should trade for Vasilevsky and I think it's like really if you could have like a third goalie that you don't even necessarily need all the games but you know that whenever he does play it's going to be really good I think that's viable plus the upside of maybe getting more games he's been great Bishop hasn't what's your take on the Tampa Bay goalie situation right now well, just to talk everyone off the ledge who is a Bishop owner, four of his last six and six of his last nine have been very good starts for Bishop. In fact, four of his last six have been 935 or higher save percentage performances. He's winning more games than he was earlier in the year. But if, I mean, if you look at it, you've got Vasilevsky. He's won five out of seven starts. Bishop's won seven out of 12. Who are you going to turn to? I, I guess Vasilevsky is definitely giving... Tampa reason to think that maybe they should turn to him sooner than they were planning. 
Ben Bishop is down towards the bottom of the league so far this year, and even strength save percentage, which of course doesn't serve him very well. But like I'm saying, he's turning in some really good performances. They're just being washed out by some really bad performances as well. And, you know, also Tampa Bay, you know, they're not in a normal situation. Like they know they're only going to probably be able to have one of these goalies next year. So why not? Like, I don't know, to me, I just think like, why not give Vass more starts if he's showing that he could handle it? Like last year, I think they wanted to give Vasilevsky more starts, but just he was kind of not, he was blowing in. Bishop was having himself like a Vesna nomination season. So obviously they couldn't bench Bishop. But now that, I don't know, to me, I feel like I would be very nervous if I was a Ben Bishop owner. There's a reason why I don't draft guys like that like I don't really like getting the tandem guys the ones who I think there's going to be competition from and sometimes you know I look really dumb like when I don't draft I don't know Varlamov because I'm afraid of Picard or San Jose when I thought that Alex Stalock was going to like steal starts and you know in Pittsburgh with Murray and Flurry, like I just didn't want any piece of it obviously maybe in hindsight I should have gone for Murray right because he's clearly taking the job maybe you'll disagree with me well Flurry seems so strong to start the year and I think you would have said ah forget Murray when he comes back he's definitely got to be the backup and so we've seen that situation flip. This one could still flip too. Same with Murray and Flurry. Like I, I, it could go back and forth a couple times through the year. I think what you're looking for is to see what percentage of a team's games Bishop or Flurry is getting to start, and especially in Tampa, where the assumption was that Vasilevsky gets one out of three. Bishop has now started just less than two out of every three games, 19 games into the season. So that's a number to keep watching, a ratio to keep watching to see if Bishop does get back up to that two out of every three, or if it evens out more towards half and half. Yeah, well, if Vasilevsky keeps getting shutouts, I think he's going to be able to push that ratio up a little bit. We'll see how he does in his next game. All right, let's move on to New Jersey. Another huge star going down. Taylor Hall could miss approximately three to four weeks with a left knee injury, and he was having a great season. 12 points in 14 games. I feel like you couldn't have hoped for any more from Taylor Hall if you drafted him, especially on a team like New Jersey. And we were talking, like all season, I feel like we've been talking about all these guys in New Jersey who normally maybe we wouldn't care about, but since they were playing with Taylor Hall, we liked them. Like last week we were excited about Travis Zajac playing with Hall on the top line of the top power play and you were like saying yeah go for Zajac even over Eric Stahl I think and I was like really but it made sense because Taylor Hall is having a good year and Zajac's right along with him doing well as well but you know with Hall out it's just like all the value seems to disappear Zajac has no points in three games last week he was now playing with PA Parento and Bo Bennett so you you swap out Taylor Hall for Bo Bennett you're definitely gonna see a hit there Henrique and Palmieri have been shuffling around lately. Camilleri's still out for personal reasons, should be back next week. But overall, like none of these guys are really doing anything. Even Damon Severson, who we were excited about, you were more apprehensive about it. Maybe you were smart to do so. A lot of people wanted to drop some really good players for Severson. He had one goal at Dallas three games ago. He had two assists and a 4-2 win versus Buffalo the game before that. But that's why Hall was still there. And those are his only three points in his last seven games. So Damon Severson, you know, especially with Taylor Hall out and maybe even without, isn't keeping up this almost point per game pace that he was doing at the beginning of the season. Ovitu is currently injured himself. So you can't even, I don't know, like, are there any, literally any, aside from Corey Schneider, are there any New Jersey Devils worth owning right now in like a standard size league? Like if every single New Jersey Devil was available in the cupful in free agency for you right now, Brian, would you add any of them? I've got one and I'll give them to you in just a second before I explain just how bad this is for the whole lineup. The Devils are 23rd in the league in goals for per game and that's with Taylor Hall in the lineup. I certainly wouldn't expect them to score any more now that he is out and you heard how excited I was about Travis Zajac last week. I was all on board with Travis Zajac centering Taylor Hall getting an insane amount of shot attempts compared to what he's used to seeing and then boom this destroys all value of I'm gonna say 
almost all New Jersey Devils, all except I'm going for it here. Michael Camilleri. Yes, he's out for personal reasons right now. Expected to rejoin the team in two or three games. Maybe that could be extended though, so don't count on it. But he had taken on a secondary scoring role this year. And that actually might be generous to him considering in his 12 games played this year, he scored zero goals in 11 of those. All three of his tallies came in a single game, a hat-trick performance against Carolina. Then he played just one more goalless game after that before taking leave from the team. But once he's back, I really think you need to keep an eye on him and whoever he's playing with as the likeliest scorers of New Jersey's goals until Taylor Hall returns. I'm for sure curious to see what Camilleri can do when returned to a primary scoring role in which he really succeeded last year. His offensive rate stats so far are actually not all that different from last year, and they're actually up for shooting and shot attempts. But to date, he's seen a huge drop-off in average time on ice to the tune of three and a half minutes less ice time per game. And his power play opportunity this year has also gotten worse. But with Hall out of the lineup, I think a lot of that sort of melts away. And he gets some of those minutes back. He gets some of that power play opportunity back. And he is worth watching. Yeah, that is an interesting point you make. Because last year, yeah, Camilleri had a great year before he got injured playing with, I guess, Henrique and Lee Stempniak. So, okay, Lee Stempniak's no longer there. But P.A. Parenteau's probably close to as good. I think like it's possible that they can get something going again. So yeah, I think it's nice for you that Camilleri is out with these personal reasons so that you could keep him stashed in your IR and let your hunch sort of fester for a little bit and you don't have to actually use a roster spot to have dibs on him. I think if I were you, once it gets announced that Camilleri is going to be coming back, I would like set your lineup in the cupful for like a week in advance just so that you could have some time to really keep Camilleri in your IR and see how he does and see if he's actually worth dropping someone good for. But okay, yeah. Overall, though, this isn't a Tampa Bay situation. I don't think a lot of players are going to be stepping up to pick up the points that Taylor Hall was going to get. I think there's just going to be fewer points. If you're starting a goalie against a team and you're trying to decide which goalie to start on a daily basis, take the goalie playing against New Jersey, I think, right now. Shall we go now to Calgary, Brian, for another huge star, I guess, left wing going down? Yes, let's go to Calgary. Yeah, it's like a band-aid. Let's just get these all out of the way. It's sad. We'll, we'll give you some players on hot streaks to end the show. And, and, you know, we're telling you hopefully some players to look at that benefit from these injuries. But another bad one, Johnny Goudreau, expected to be out six weeks with a fractured finger. He was hacked and slashed all game long. The Calgary management is not happy about it, but it doesn't change the fact that Goudreau is going to be out. By the way, I remember that I read that someone complained that I say his name incorrectly. I think it was on Reddit. So I guess Goudreau isn't how you say it. It's Goudreau, right? Yeah, let's go with that. All right, sorry. Johnny Goudreau. I'll try to do that from now on. Okay, so Goudreau was just starting to get going. He had three goals and assists in his last four games. You know, he sort of had a slow start to the year along with Sean Monaghan, and you'd think this must be bad for Sean Monaghan losing his all-star line mate, but he actually had a rare good game for the season with one goal and one assist, two shots on goal versus Chicago on Friday. Calgary's playing again today, so we'll see how he does. Sam Bennett is the one who gets Goudreau's spot on the first line and also the top power play and he had a good game after moving to that top line with Monaghan and Brower he had one goal one assist and six shots on goal against Chicago so you know we had a lot of people already asking uh, before the Goudreau injury if they should be dropping Monaghan how do we think he'll be affected moving forward is this going to be like a Tampa Bay situation where the star player gets injured and maybe other people will be able to step up or like to me I kind of think yeah Monaghan had a really good game but overall I can't imagine he's gonna be able to do as well playing with Sam Bennett as opposed to Johnny Gaudreau you wouldn't think so and then Monaghan goes and gets his first multi-point effort of the season the goal he scored when Gaudreau's first game out was his first goal in 15 games and now you're watching Monaghan and Bennett 
and seeing if they can make anything of this situation. Though part of the problem with Monahan and Goudreau was that Calgary couldn't find a winger to complete their line or even two other forwards to play with them if they split them apart. So it seems counterintuitive that suddenly things might click for Monaghan with Goudreau out. That said, nothing was clicking for Monaghan before, so why not hope that this is some kind of kick in the pants, like in Tampa as well. I'm intrigued to see how it all plays out, especially because maybe this could be a good thing for Sam Bennett as well, who we were expecting a little bit more than what we've seen from him. So yeah, the spotlight was on the star player before, in this case, Johnny Gaudreau. And with him gone, maybe that extra urgency, that extra harsh light on Monaghan is what kicks things into gear. It's not something that you should buy into by any means. Like it's a really hopeful, optimistic take on things. But what else do we have at this point with the season that Monaghan and all Calgary Flames are having? Like this has had ripple effects on Giordano, Hamilton and countless other Calgary bit players who you might hope to get a few points. Troy Brower has gone ice cold. Well, okay. I know you're not surprised about that last one, but yeah, actually Hamilton and Giordano, I guess we talked about Giordano last week. Hamilton also, he's just done nothing, right? He only has six points in 19 games. He's been scoreless for so many games in a row. There was a question on Twitter today asking if the person should drop Hamilton for Anthony D'Angelo. When I first thought, of course, of course not. But then you look, Hamilton's doing nothing. Anthony D'Angelo, by the way, still on the top power play in Arizona and getting points. Like at what point you just go like, you know what? Fine. Drop Dougie Hamilton for a streamer guy that's looking good right now. Like, it's tough. I guess we'll see what happens with Gaudreau out. Obviously, it was a good game against Chicago. We'll see if they can keep it going. I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Things do not seem to be working on either side of the ice for Calgary right now. So anyone invested in their offense, their defense, or their goaltending uh, might be a, another rough little while at least until Gaudreau comes back and then you can start hoping again yeah well speaking of their goaltending Brian all this week we haven't seen Brian Elliott playing Chad Johnson has been stealing starts he's played three games in a row for the Flames and he's playing today against Detroit unfortunately he's already led into goal it's one nothing for Detroit but whatever it's still just very impressive that he's getting these starts and really like crappy for Brian Elliott owners so at least hey Elliott hasn't been in your net to blow up your stats so that's one benefit but yeah Chad Johnson had a 27-save shutout versus Minnesota. Then he had a 20-save 2-1 win versus Arizona. Then he had this, like, 21-save 3-2 loss against Chicago. So actually, before I said it was a good game against Chicago, they lost 3-2. Maybe I shouldn't get too excited about it just because Monaghan got a couple of points. But you know what? That I watched that game, and that third goal that Chad Johnson led in, that was a fluky goal that shouldn't have even counted. It was a high stick by Hosa. But anyway, just to say, Chad Johnson has been good lately. On the season, he has a 9-10 save percentage, which isn't that great, but it's better than Brian Elliott's 882 save percentage so do you think this is just a short-lived thing and Elliot will be back to being the starter soon or is Chad Johnson someone we should start taking seriously at this point as maybe the new starter in Calgary or at the very least like a 50-50 guy with Brian Elliott so I under emphasized Chad Johnson's potential role in Buffalo last year when it was him and Linus Olmark dueling it out and he ended up coming out on top and having a pretty good season on the whole i think I'm going to make the same mistake or or be willing to make the same mistake again. I don't think he's an average NHL goalie. I think he's a subpar NHL starter. And I think eventually the pendulum will swing back to Brian Elliott. The question is, will the team in front of them have it together enough to make any of them look good? Right now, Brian Elliott deserves to be where he is on the bench. 
He is only in the same neighborhood as two other starters in terms of quality start percentage. He and Steve Mason, as a matter of fact, 36.4% of their starts have been quality so far this year. Ryan Miller, the only starter below them at 33.3%. So there's not a whole lot of good to say about Brian Elliott's game so far this year. I still think he's good. I don't know that he's St. Louis good, although some of the numbers seem to suggest he was. I saw enough of him in Ottawa to know him as a streaky goalie who could wither and wilt behind a team that can't handle itself defensively or on a random night, he might totally step up to the challenge and steal a win. That sort of inconsistency though is going to hurt him in Calgary, especially since they've only committed to him for one year. We really liked him. He was at the top of our tier five, Elon, wasn't he? Or tier four, tier four. He was at the top of that Uh tier as somebody that we thought really had a good shot to win some games and put up a strong save percentage based on his adjusted goal saved above average per 60 minutes. Numbers, not looking that way so far. If you are an Elliott owner and you need goalie starts, I think you'd be wise to cuff him with Johnson. Or just like drop him. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like Brian Elliott, I guess you're saying there's still a chance. I We've had a lot of questions of, you know, like someone has, let's say, three goalies, including Elliott, and then they're asking, oh, should I pick up this I don't know. There's been some like goalies that have been popping up in free agency, whatever, whoever it is, Hellebucker, but probably even someone a little bit worse. But like, uh, you know, and so we've been sometimes saying, well, maybe it's worth it to just hold four goalies for a little while and see how things shake out. I feel like at this point, probably like if Brian, I'll just say this, if Brian Elliott was dropped in any of my three leagues, I wouldn't be adding him right now. So maybe the other people in your leagues will feel the same way and you could like safely drop him. And then if, you know, he starts heating up, if he starts even just getting starts, then you could consider re-adding him then. I guess it depends. Yeah, so I'm saying if you have no other option, you need starts, go ahead for the Calgary Cuff. But there are few teams in the league this year, and we'll get to a couple surprising ones, Elon, from which I would less like to own a goalie. That was like a quadruple negative or some bizarre sentence construction. What I'm trying to say is that Calgary goalies, very undesirable, probably bottom five team from which I'd like to own a goalie right now. Yeah. Calgary goalies, you know, like we were, we weren't the only one. Even more succinct. (laughs) Well, we're doing a live show here. Some people watching the video could get a little bonus out of watching live. You know, we weren't the only ones, by the way, to get uh, Brian Elliott wrong. Like you say, we had him maybe too high in our tier four. We talked with Chris Wassel earlier this week, a fun bonus episode with him, and he was listing his top projection blunders of the season. And Brian Elliott was right on this list. A lot of people thought he was going to be really good. Definitely not happening. Okay, let's get out of Calgary. Let's go to Washington. Okay, I guess we're on the next tier of injuries now. At least we're not total star players, but still pretty significant. Guys, TJ Oji is week to week with an upper body injury now, and he's quietly having an okay season. He has 12 points in 17 games played, which is a 58-point pace, nothing too shabby. And I guess this opens the door for Justin Williams to get back into the fold. He played with Backstrom and Johansson last game. It was on the top power play with Backstrom and Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. Is it worth looking, though, at Justin Williams, who has only three points in 17 games played? Well, you'd be having a bad year, too, if you were playing significant time with Lars Eller and Zachary Sanford. Not to say anything about Lars Ellard, but that is not necessarily where you want to be if you want to collect points in the Washington lineup. And right now, I think you got to take a look at Williams. He's putting a few shots on goal in this new role. No points again today, but I think he had three shots. And he's had his moments last year in Washington as well, just like Oshie has in that top six. The right side is thin enough that Williams could step up into Oshie's role, playing alongside Ovechkin and maybe Backstrom and Kuznetsov to make things happen. He won't be able to generate his own offense, but I still think he could be a complementary piece 
if he can keep up, because things move pretty quickly, and I'm not sure how great a skater he is these days. Another name to watch is Andre Burakovsky, who can shift to the right side if needed. So perhaps he gets a boost if things with Williams really aren't working out. Yeah, and then obviously the, another week goes by, another week with no points for... Evgeny Kuznetsov. It's it's getting pretty ridiculous, right? Like I mentioned the podcast with Chris Wassel that he's at least now playing with Ovechkin. Like, so it's a pretty good situation to be in. So that top line today was Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Andre Burakovsky. So like you said, actually, it's a pretty good situation for Burakovsky taking the spot that Oshie used to hold, or at least I guess they've been shifting things around a bit this year. But yeah, still no points. We're up to eight games with only one goal for Evgeny Kuznetsov in his last eight games. So it's, it's not looking good, but I, I at least like that now he's in a better situation and he's on that top power play, which he wasn't on before. So maybe if he was dropped in your league, I know it's crazy because I like already called him a potential snoozer last week and like he's done nothing but continue to snooze. But I almost feel like now it's more likely that he's been dropped in your league if it's a shallowish league and maybe even if not at this point. So maybe now's the time to add him because he does have that upside. He did have almost a point per game last season and he's back to playing with good line mates and on a, like a really good power play. Yeah, and speaking of that power play, Elan, shall you break the news or shall I? Uh, I'm sad about this. John Carlson apparently is off the top power play in Washington, at least in the last couple of games. Matt Niskanen took his job and it's not good because I have Carlson in two of my leagues. One of my leagues, Brian, in our joint league, we named our team keeping Carlson, spelling both with C's because we couldn't have Eric Carlson. At least we had John Carlson. Man, like now he's not on the top power play. He only played 19 minutes and 36 seconds today. He was usually an above 20 minute defenseman. He had no points, one shots on goal, one block today. Like John Carlson is not contributing and he hasn't been contributing pretty much all year. He has only seven assists, no goals in 17 games this season. And, you know, I thought, whatever, he'll be fine. He's still on the top power play. Now that he's not, I am very concerned. And also side note, if Matt Niskanen is available, he had a power play assist today. And I would definitely grab him if you could, because he's on the top power play. Yeah, and with that power play assist, he has half of Carlson's total power play output. John Carlson, I mean, you can't really fault him. Washington has scored seven power play goals this year, or leading up to today anyway. He has assists on two of them. That's nothing to be ashamed of. But maybe what he's doing isn't working out right now. Maybe it's time for a shakeup. And a lot of people forget Matt Niskanen last year, 16 points on the power play thanks to 16 games that John Carlson spent out of the lineup. And Niskanen stepped in very capably in that absence. And actually the year before, even with a healthy Carlson, Niskanen had 10 power play points. The year before he had 15, although that was in Pittsburgh. But the point is that he's done this before. He's shown that he is capable of rolling on that top power play unit. So John Carlson is doing something wrong, needs to relearn something or figure something out. They might take him off temporarily, One thing that I still am okay with about John Carlson this year, though, is that he has no goals on 44 shots. He's averaging about two and a half shots per game, and it's just not working out so far. So the shot generation is still coming. I would prefer if it came on the power play still. It's something to watch if you're a Carlson owner and you need to double up on Niskanen really quickly. We'll see if this becomes a pattern and lasts another game or two, or if this was really just a temporary push. Uh, Patty just wrote in the chat, 
Great. Now the whole league knows about Niskanen. Thanks, Elon. You just cost me money, I guess, for the fab bids for tomorrow in the Kakuffle. Niskanen might be a bit higher now that we're letting people know. But yeah, I guess if you have John Carlson, I wouldn't drop him yet. You know, it's only been two games. We'll check in maybe next week or in a couple of weeks and see if the situation has rectified itself. If not, though, obviously loses a ton of fantasy value and I kick myself for drafting him so high in a couple of leagues. All right. We still have a lot more injuries. The rest of them that I'm going to mention, we don't really know how severe they are. So let's not get too deep into them. But like Bobby Ryan and Mike Hoffman are both injured in Ottawa. Buchnevich is uh, injured currently in New York. Landeskog and Duchesne are both out. Apparently Duchesne might come back tomorrow for Colorado. Patrick Hornqvist has a concussion. Tomas Hurdle is out. Actually, that one's looking like it's going to be a long-term injury. Or, or I guess, no, he got sent for an MRI. So who, who knows? Uh, I'll give you just a few random comments about some of these guys, Brian. You could feel free to add your own. So like in New York, with Buchnevich out, JT Miller was actually playing with Zibanejad and Zuccarello last game and also getting power play time. And this is a guy who's been doing great all year, right? He has 17 points in 18 games now. He has two goals and two assists in his last four games. And, you know, last time we talked about him when he was doing like just as well, but we said, yeah, but he's like not like on the best line and he's not getting power play time. So it probably won't last. Now he is getting some power play time. I don't know if it'll last, but it makes him even more appealing. Of course, probably he's already been taken in your league. He's like almost a point per game player so far. So I don't know if I could even ask you, Brian, if you would pick him up. But what do you think about JT Miller's production now? Before you said fleeting. Now do you think it's more looking more sustainable? I don't. I think it's still fleeting. He's definitely not a point per game player. On ice shooting percentage is twice as high as it should be. And I don't even know that the Rangers have room for him in their top six, even with Buchnevich out and fantastic job on the pronunciation, by hmm. the way, even if that guy doesn't come into the top six, when he returns to the lineup, Jimmy VC is still kicking around playing with Jesper fast and Kevin Hayes right now. Maybe he gets back in the top six. And if that's the case, JT Miller falls right back out. It's hard to imagine any depth ranger really blowing past that 50-point mark with all the forward options they have available. It would be really nice if Miller could keep a 50-point pace from here on out. I'm just a little skeptical that, well, it's not going to be a shoo-in, in my opinion, and he's definitely not going to keep up the pace he's at now. So if you can convince anybody that he will, then sure, go ahead and try. A couple other rangers to note, Michael Grabner is crushing it in even strength points scored. Top 10 in the league right now. Way to go. Or maybe top 15. I don't have the, the exact number in front of me. And also with Chris Kreider returning to the lineup, he's with Rick Nash and Derek Stepan since JT Miller is playing on what was his line before he was injured. And he's been doing okay there. Another goal tonight with those line mates, Stepan and Mark Stahl picking up the assist. He had four shots in his first game returning from injury and looks like he's on track to get about that many tonight as well. Also, Brady Shea still looking nice in his production. Not a lot of shots on goal or really any peripherals. He gets one or two blocks, one or two hits most nights. Still in second power play unit, but we said we'd wait and see, be patient about him. And points are still coming up on the board. Not a lot of peripherals to keep that in mind, but it's nice. Yeah, if you want a defenseman who's potentially going to give you assists... Brady Shea just gets assists like almost every game. It seems he has two more in his last two games. We'll see how he does today. Definitely someone to watch. So JT Miller, sounds like what you're saying, Brian, is if you could convince someone, if you have JT Miller right now, like do it. Why not? Try to convince them that you have someone who is just as good as like, I don't even know, Mark Shifley or Gabriel Landeskog. I'm just throwing out random names that are coming to my head right now. But you know, maybe Shifley would be tough to buy. But you know, find some somewhat struggling player like Ryan Johansson. I don't know. See... 
it was shoot for the sky. Who knows what the people in your league think about JT Miller, but he's definitely putting up production like an all-star. So see if you can swap him for one. Okay, I mentioned Hornfist is out. The big beneficiary here is Chris Kunitz, who takes the spot on that awesome Pittsburgh top power play. He has three assists, including two on the power play in his last two games while Hornfist has been out. And the other thing to note is that with Hornfist out, Carl Hagelin has gotten onto the top line playing with Connor Sheary and, of course, Sidney Crosby. Yeah, so Kunitz is in the spot vacated by Harnqvist, and it seems sensible and nice that Kunitz gets a shot there. Interestingly enough, he's his best rate stats of the last three years. The flip side of that coin, though, is that his minutes are down to depths that he hasn't seen since Pittsburgh acquired him from Anaheim for Ryan Whitney. Quick trivia break, Elon. Name the only other team that Chris Kunitz has played for. Anaheim. No, aside from Anaheim and Pittsburgh. Oh, um, pass. Wrong. It was the Atlanta Thrashers. Of course. Who claimed him off of waivers, I think, from Anaheim. And then he played two games for them and then was waived by Atlanta and reacquired by Anaheim. And then Anaheim eventually shipped him out for Ryan Whitney. Anyway, nice spot for Chris Kunitz for the time being. Yeah, and he gets hits. Obviously, like Chris Kunitz is probably owning your league. So if you have him, you're just enjoying right now the extra power play time. Horkfist will hopefully come back soon and... You know, then Kunitz will go back. I mean, he's still up, by the way. He's also on line two with Malkin and Kessel. So Kunitz is in a great situation right now. Like most players would be putting up points in that situation. Uh, any Anything else from these injuries? I guess, oh yeah, I wanted to say about San Jose with Tomas Hurdle out. He, of course, was playing with the Joes, Thornton and Pavelski. And so in San Jose's last game, Kevin LeBanc started on line one with the Joes. I don't even know who that is. Brian, you can tell me if I should know who he is, but maybe not though, because it looks like Marlo got some time there. So maybe Marlo ended up replacing LeBanc on that top line. And if that's the case, that's pretty good. Like we called him a snoozer last week, but if Patrick Marlowe is playing with Joe Thorne and Joe Pavelski, that's a great situation to be in considering he's also still on the top power play. Speaking of San Jose though, Pavelski and Burns are doing great as expected, but Thornton actually only has 12 points in 18 games, which is a 54 point pace. So that's well below his almost point per game pace that he put up last year. And Logan Couture, only nine points in 18 games. So I'm curious to know, I guess, your thoughts on what I just said about Marlowe and also if people should be worried about Thornton and Couture. Okay, let's go in the order that you reference players, or at least the way I remember it. First off, Kevin LeBanc, LeBanc. The thing is, he's from Staten Island, but Ooh. the name looks kind of French. So it's either LeBanc or LeBanc or LeBanc. I don't know uh, if it's any of those. Or it's LeBon. He comes from a French family. We don't need to spend too much time talking about it, except that his name translated means the bench, (laughs) which I wonder if he'll be seeing more of that in the NHL. He certainly wasn't seeing it in the AHL. Ten points in six games in his first pro season with the San Jose Barracuda. No question why he was the first call-up for San Jose after really destroying the OHL last year with the Barry Colts, although that happens often with people who don't have much of an NHL career. He was drafted in the sixth round in 2014. This is way too much time to be spending on Kevin L. So let's move on to Patrick Marlowe, who was a snoozer last week, and four shots on goal in his last game versus Arizona was nice, but it won't change the fact that in my mind he's still a snoozer. He's getting plenty of looks on the power play. Nothing's coming, though, so in my opinion, still snoozing. Uh, San Jose is actually currently amongst the weakest teams in shooting percentage at both even strength and on the power play. And I think this might contribute towards explaining away what is happening with Thornton and Couture. So maybe those guys are by low opportunities. You might think 
that Couture deserves a little more hesitation than Thornton, but the numbers actually favor more of a positive regression from Couture. Thornton's got just 16 shots in 18 games, which is low, even for him, a guy who generally gets a shot, shot and a half on average per game. Thornton's shot on goal and shot attempt rates this year are so far half of what they were last year. He's never been a big shooter, but I would still like to see those numbers a little healthier. With Hurdle out, I fear that things still won't get better for Thornton. I did tweet at Jacob Sundstrom over at Fear the Fin. He said he's going to dig into it. So take a look at fearthefin.com and consider a future post that might be put up there about what exactly is happening with Joe Thornton's game. But I do still expect that however badly Thornton and Couture are playing right now, they're still both going to get better. And maybe I should be cutting Marlowe a little more slack as well. Though, in my opinion, he has the lowest ceiling of the three, and perhaps that's why I'm not cutting him so much slack. But if I had to rank them today, I would probably say, man, it's so hard to put Couture ahead of Thornton, so I can't do it. I'm going to say Thornton and Couture are closer than you think. There's reason to put Couture a little bit ahead of Thornton, and then a fair gap between both of them and Marlowe. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to give Couture much credit right now when he has only a point in every two games. That's the ratio he's going. But like you say, hopefully some more shots will start going in soon. Obviously, you can't drop these guys. Joe Thornton also, he's old. <laughs> like at some point he's gonna have to slow down maybe this is the start of it i don't see him being a point per, like he'll probably do a little better like right now like i said he's less than a 60 point pace maybe he could get like a 65 70 point pace but maybe we're now finally beyond the point when he's putting up near 80 point pace or he'll maybe surprise us like he did actually start slow or had like a slow stretch last year i remember the or the year before it might have been but there, i think it was last year actually like he started really there was one cold stretch where we talked on the podcast we're like what's wrong with thornton and then next thing you knew he like blew the league away and ended up with close to a point per game Brian, let's take a little break before we talk about some happier news, maybe some outjuries and some players on hot streaks to end the show. Let's talk about our sponsor for this episode, Draft. We already know you love playing fantasy hockey because you listen to this podcast. So we know you'll love playing fantasy on Draft. Draft is a simple daily fantasy app where you can do snake drafts, just like the one you do at the beginning of your season-long league. You can do drafts whenever you want. They last for just one day, and they take only minutes to complete. On Draft, you can play for free or for money, and your chances of winning on Draft are over 200% better than your chances of winning on DraftKings or FanDuel, which, by the way, I read that they uh, merged. So interesting news going on with DraftKings and FanDuel. Maybe I shouldn't be dropping news in the middle of an ad spot. But uh, Brian, we did a head-to-head draft today on Draft, and I am destroying you. You had first overall pick, and you took Braden Hopi, who lost to Columbus. Then I went with Ovechkin, who had a goal. And then Ryan Getzlaff, who's still playing. Then, I don't know, you took a couple scrubs. I took Nicholas Baxter, who had a goal and an assist. I picked up Dustin Bufflin, who actually didn't do that well. He had three shots on goal. And I still have Lundqvist in today. I'm beating you. like I'm almost doubling you right now. I'm destroying you. Who's on your roster? John Carlson, not even on the power play. Mark Shifley, he scored a goal. That was good. Corey Perry and Blake Wheeler. Yeah, I'm going to win. I loaded up on Jets against Cam Ward. I put my money where my mouth is, not caring that the Jets were on the road. And I'm getting burned in that one against you. I'm in a couple others. Again, you know, like snake drafting or just drafting in general is often like a highlight of your fantasy season. And every time you finish, you just want to do it again and again. And draft has that like addictive quality in a positive way (laughs) where you can just snake draft as many times as you want, any day you want. And uh, against two, against one other person or two other people or three other people. So you should definitely, if you haven't, just check it out. Will you? Will you? <laughs> <laughs> Won't you? Will you? When you download Draft, 
Be sure to enter the promo code Carlson. To download it, you could just search for a draft in the App Store and it will come up first. You can go to playdraft.com or if you're in Canada and you use Android, it's not available in the Canadian Android Store, but I've made a link for it. Go to keepingcarlson.com slash draftandroidca and that will download the Android Canada app. Remember to enter the promo code Carlson. When you download, you can get an 100% deposit bonus. You deposit an amount of money, it, it doubles. And then you could maybe win a lot of money, get rich. Okay, that's draft. It's really great. Check it out. Brian, I want to switch now to some out juries, some happy news. Hey, some other happy news here in the chat room. I'm seeing Dougie Hamilton got an assist. So there you go. It's it's starting. Don't trade Hamilton for Anthony D'Angelo after all. Maybe there's there's some life there. But okay, some players have come back. Patrick Sharp and Jason Spezza and Cody Eakin have all returned for Dallas this week. They're almost fully healthy. They don't have Yuri Hoodler, but really at this point, like, who cares? I guess they don't have Alish Hemsky, whatever. Sharp has played one game so far versus Edmonton. He had no goals, no assists, two shots on goal. He wasn't even on the top power play. I thought that Patrick Eves and Roussel would get bumped back with Spezza and Sharp coming back. But yesterday, the top power play was Ben, Sagan, Spezza, Eves, and Klingberg. So Patrick Eves still has value. I'm like pretty surprised. And that's really great for Patrick Eves owners that Sharp didn't bump him off the top power play. The regular lines have been... At least in the last game, Sagan, Ben, and Eves. Eves again, Spezza, Devin Shore, and Cody Eakin, and then Sharp, Roussel, and Faxa. So, yeah, clearly the winner with all of these outries in Dallas has been Patrick Eves, who stays on the amazing line in power play. He has 10 points in his last eight games, 15 points in 18 games on the season. And when people were asking about him before, I was saying, well, yeah, take him now, but he's probably going to get dropped when Sharp comes back. But right now, he's looking good. Is there any reason not to add him at this point, Brian? Like, I missed my chance in all three of my leagues, maybe kicking myself a little bit. He has a career high, though, of only 32 points. Looks, though, like he's missed a lot of time over the past few seasons. Like, he's gotten on good runs and then got injured. So if he stays healthy, is he a threat for a career year? Or do you think he's, like, eventually just going to get bumped down and he's going to slow down and it's not worth giving up too much for him? Here are the players that you've asked me that question about since starting the podcast. And this is just an abbreviated list. Valerie Nachushkin, Patrick Sharp, Patrick Eves, Alish Hemsky, Colton Sevier, Dallas Eakin, Brett Ritchie. They've all had their turn on that top line in recent years. And now the good news for Eves is that he, Patrick Sharp, Cody Eakin, and Brett Ritchie are the only ones remaining of that group with Hemsky out of an injury, Sevier over in Florida, Nachushkin in the KHL. So, On one hand, that's positive. On the other hand, there's still four people to revolve through that door. Maybe Eves gets a continued look because things are clicking for him right now, but I can't imagine that it's a permanent situation for him, especially if, say, Patrick Sharp is struggling and the Stars want to try and get him going. So, as is the case with all of these guys from three years ago until the end of time, uh, they're all great on first line, and they are totally meh when they're anywhere else. So for now, go ahead and pick up Eves if you have a cycle spot in your roster. Even if you don't, like if you have a bottom spot, the same way you might have added Marcia so earlier in the season, this is if he's still available in your league. But do be prepared to jettison him at some point. Okay, yeah, I don't know. For me, I always just kind of feel like it's different this time. But I guess I've thought that many times before. But definitely Patrick Eves has been amazing for anyone who picked him up at some point, deciding, ah, what the hell, I'll just add him for a little bit. By the way, so Patrick Sharp, is he like a snoozer at this point? He only had one assist in four games played before his injury. And like I said, he came back and did nothing in his last game. He's not on a good line. He's not on the top power play. You know, we're going to talk, we've already talked about some guys you might want to pick up and we're going to talk about some more. Is Patrick Sharp someone that you could consider dropping at this point? Or is it like, no, you have to hold on because he still has the potential to get like 50, 60 points and a ton of shots? 
I think it would be a little preemptive to drop a 55-plus point guy from last year after seeing four games of him and then one more right after he returned from injury. This is a guy, again, 55 points in 76 games last year, 226 shots, 24 power play points. It's too soon to give up on a guy like that. you got to give him another eight to ten games to see what happens. If you can hold off, the good news, though, is if he's already a free agent in your league, I don't know that anybody's going to be rushing to get him. So you can be the first to get dibs. Just have to pick your moment. And now might not be that moment, to be fair. Yeah, I think probably you want to be like checking out the line combinations at Dumper Hockey or somewhere. Follow the Dallas beat writers. When it gets announced that Sharp is going to be going on the top line and or the top power play, that's your moment when you add him. Don't wait for the points to come because you know they'll come if and when he's there. I guess I have to mention Antoine Roussel. I brought him up before. He went on a seven-game point streak recently while Sharp and Spezza were injured. He was seeing time on the top power play, which of course helped. But now I think it's time to drop him. If you had him, he has no points, no shots in his last two games. Like I said, he's off the top power play. He's playing on a line with Sharp <laughs> for what it's worth. So yeah, thank Antoine Roussel for his services and then drop him from your team. And I guess I'll mention Jason Spezza, two power play assists in his last two games. So he looks to be getting back on track to giving his owners a solid season of production, we should hope. Also, like I said, on that top power play. And with that, let's go to some more outjuries in Arizona. Martin Hansel and Mike Smith, both back for the Coyotes. Two guys who I'm sure will get injured again at some point, as they both always tend to do. But nice to see them both back. Hansel, great return. He has a goal and two assists in three games since returning. Both of his assists were on the power play. He had five hits and three shots yesterday against San Jose. And he's back on the top line in the power play with Verbata and Max Domi. And I feel like all three of these guys should be owned in like pretty much all formats like Domi is probably already owned and Verbata still not owned in a lot of leagues. And he has 12 points in 17 games. Domi has 13. So both are having great years. Verbata had nine shots against Vancouver a couple of games ago. And like I said, Hansel's good. So I, yeah, I really like these guys. And I feel like we called it Brian a little bit. Maybe we weren't the only ones, but we were thinking that Verbata was going to have a chance to rebound after that brutal year in Vancouver last year. And so far looking great. By the way, speaking of that game against San Jose, where Verbata had nine shots, Mike Smith was amazing, stopping 43 of 45 shots for the 3-2 to two win. He also only let in two goals versus Calgary in his first game back from injury. So I feel like Mike Smith is right back on track. I assume if you have Louis Demang, it's time to drop him, unless you have value in having a backup goalie on Arizona. I don't think Demang did anything to like necessarily say like that job should be his or he should be in a timeshare. I think Mike Smith is the number one guy. And, like, Brian, do you think he can be a league average goalie this year? He's had a few rough seasons lately, but last year he was pretty solid, 916 save percentage, and he's up to a 922 save percentage this year and only four games played. What do you think about Mike Smith? He's been below average in even strength save percentage for the last few years, but closer to average when you look at the context-based numbers, like adjusted goals saved above average per 60 minutes, or Mercad, as we've also called it. He had a better year last year than Domingue did, Uh, He turns 35 this year and is not an ideal goalie option for your fantasy team, but I think he might be the best option that Arizona has. And going back to their top line, Elon, I think they're one of the most undeservedly overlooked top lines in fantasy. So many of these guys are available. And if you were one of the people who got super excited about Zajac, as you should have, I wonder if Hansel and Verbata and maybe even Domi were sitting available in your free agent pool at the same time. I have Hansel in a couple leagues. I picked him up after the draft, kept him stashed after he came back from injury, and I missed some of his production when he came back from it. It's easy to get down on him because he's inevitably going to get injured. 
and make a mess of your lineup. But when he's healthy and playing with Rabada and Domi at even strength and on the power play, I think you're looking at a 55-point pace from him for starters. And also from his line mates, I don't think that's unreasonable. Rabada is another guy who's a free agent in a lot of leagues and should be owned. He's top 50 in the league right now in all situations, points per 60 minutes, and is behind a lot of people with less sustainable shooting percentages than he has. So the whole top line in Arizona should be owned in your league. Go check right now. Check your free agency pool and see if any one of them happens to still be out there. Yeah, if you're watching live, uh, you know, maybe wait till after the show. Or you can go check. You can multitask. You know, or if you're listening, you know, we could pause the podcast, take a look. Also, take a look if Anthony D'Angelo, like I said, if he's there because he's still putting up points. Like I said, we brought him up last week. He's now up to four points in six games played. Three of those points are on the power play, and I feel like while he's on the top power play with Domi, Hansel Verbata, and a guy named Oliver Ekman Larson. That's a pretty good option also. So definitely he should not be a free agent if you have a spot to cycle someone in. Okay, let's go now to Detroit. Thomas Vanek is back today, actually. He's in the middle of a game right now, and currently he has no points. It's 1-1 between Detroit and Calgary. And Vanek, what does he have? Two shots. Well, whatever. It's like partway through the game. If he could get four shots, it's actually a pretty good game. If he could double that. Chad Johnson, by the way, up to only one goal against and 11 saves. So putting in another decent performance. I wonder how many of those shots Brian Elliott would have let in if he was in the net. Anyway, Thomas Vanek, he had been having a really good year before he got injured. He had eight points in seven games played, which is fantastic. You know, aside from him, I feel like, is there even anyone to get excited about in Detroit right now for offense? Like Zetterberg has 11 points in 18 games, which isn't that great. It's okay. Seven in his last eight though. So he's solid enough. Okay. Henrik Zetterberg. Yeah. If you have him, he's good. Mike Green picks up an assist every now and then. He takes a good number of shots. So I'd say, okay, like he's good. Aside from those guys, we're really not seeing anything lately from Nyquist, Tatar, Larkin, Franz Nielsen, Cronwall on defense. Like, are you holding out hope for any of these guys at this point or can they all be free agents? Like, Brian, I guess I'm asking you, is there any one of those Detroit guys I just mentioned that you would want if you saw them in free agency? Like Dylan Larkin, he has six points in 18 games played. I'm pretty sure I made a bet with one of the patrons going to the season that was saying Dylan Larkin was going to get like 60 plus points. And I said, I don't think so. Maybe more like 40 or 45. Maybe we were both wrong and he's going to be like 20, which is what it's looking like right now. Okay, let's not go crazy. Dylan Larkin is going to get more than 20 points this year. I know you know that, but it is a different situation from other teams where you've asked, why is everybody struggling like San Jose and like Ottawa? Because they had team-wide low shooting percentages when we're used to expecting better. But Detroit doesn't have the same validity. They're right in the middle of the pack. So you wonder, what's the problem if the team on average is shooting okay And the reason that things are not okay in Detroit is because they're dead last in the league in shot attempts per 60 minutes. If you give them the benefit of adjusting for score effects, they rise all the way up to 28th in the league. Things are not awesome right now in Detroit. In the last six games, only Henrik Zetterberg has managed to score more than two points. And only Dylan Larkin is averaging more than two and a half shots on goal per game, though Gustav Nyquist not too far behind. I feel like Nielsen, Larkin, and Zatar should all be able to pick up their games a little bit. Nyquist as well, though maybe our continued hopes for his breakout will be stayed for yet another year. This is just a team that we're seeing really struggle with weak defense, with, well, not unreliable golding. We'll get to that in a second. But also without their glue for the last several years in Pavel Datsuk. I think he had a huge impact. I don't think, I know, but I, I think on the ice and off the ice, So I don't think there's any reason to rush out to grab anyone other than Henrik Zetterberg at the moment, which is what I managed to do a week or so ago at just the right time 
thank goodness. But there's a lot of reasons to remain unenthusiastic about any of these struggling Red Wings. Yeah. And so what do you think about Vanek? Do you think that you would grab him if he's available? Or like, I don't even know. I don't even have such high hopes for him. Like he had a great start to the year, but I'd like to see him do it again now that he's back from injury. He was succeeding net front on the power play. So if he can get back into that position and do well there, that's good news for him. But his shooting percentage was like 24% when he got injured. So I'm not really sure you can expect him to continue the pace that he was on. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Very disappointing, all these Detroit guys. Okay, one guy, like you said, we have to get to it. I don't know. Maybe you don't want to, Brian. But I don't know. Maybe you were wrong. Maybe not. Like, are you ready to admit defeat on Jimmy Howard? Like, we talked about him, like, a couple of weeks ago already, or maybe three weeks ago, where I was saying, wow, Jimmy Howard's gotten, like, two starts in a row, three starts in a row. Maybe he's going to end up taking the job from Mrazek, or at least being 50-50. And you were like, nah, Jimmy Howard sucks. Like, Mrazek's the guy. He's better. All right. Now, at this point... Jimmy Howard has played five of Detroit's last six games. He's scheduled. He's playing today against Calgary in this game that's currently 1-1. He has a 945 save percentage on the season so far compared to Peter Mrazek's lowly 901. It's like obviously at this point too late for anyone to get Howard as a free agent because he's been added in probably all leagues, which would make sense. But I'm curious to know if you still think it'll be Mrazek's job or are you seeing something like unsustainable in Howard's numbers like is Mrazek a snoozer at this point do people drop Mrazek like I guess you're gonna probably say no Howard sucks but I'm gonna be curious to see why I don't know what to do with Peter Mrazek I'm gonna be honest I don't know how long this Howard run is going to last but I do know that it's going to end at some point I do know that there is a finite stretch of time for which Jimmy Howard will be putting up these numbers yes he's number one now which is why if you own Mrazek sort of throw your hands up in the air and try and figure out when this is going to end because Howard's numbers are not sustainable. He has a 983 medium danger save percentage this year. Compare that to 933 and 917, 923 in the last three years. So way above the previous three years. And then his high danger save percentage has a similarly high jump at this point in the year. He's got an 846 save percentage against high danger chances compared to last year's 796 the year before, 786. The year before, 822. So that's a little closer, but still, that's the high watermark. And he's still a fair amount above that. So regression will come. But until it does, he has been crushing it. I'm, I'm, I'll give him credit for what he's been doing. He's been crushing it long enough to be rightfully considered the number one in Detroit. And here's the rub for me. Potentially also considered a number one by his fantasy owners. There's a patron in the group who I was encouraging to try and get quick in some other deal. And I was like, do you think you can get quick as part of this trade? And the patron responded, uh, well, actually, the team I'm trading with has Jimmy Howard, and they think he's a number one goalie for the rest of the year. So maybe this is an opening to get Jonathan quick. And that's my advice to anybody who does not own Howard, is to find the Howard owner, find them in their complacency about this goalie situation that they've stumbled into, and try and nab one of their legitimate starters who might be struggling at the moment. Hmm. That is, yeah, we've never really come up with that strategy before. I like that. So when a goalie is doing well that you think is unsustainable, go and try to trade for one of their other goalies, especially if you could find one that's struggling. Like, I don't know, Henrik Lundqvist had a bad game a couple of games ago. Maybe you could try to pry him away. Like, who knows? Who knows these people who aren't listening to Keeping Carlson are thinking? Like, there's no way to know. They're they're too weird. But Jimmy Howard, like, you used to, the thing is you used to think he was good. And then he had a couple of bad seasons, and now you think he's not good. I guess, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong for sure. I guess you want to see more before you're going to be convinced to change your mind. 
But, you know, so far, so good. And I just really have a hard time imagining Peter Morazic becoming the starter again. Like, maybe it could be 50-50. Yeah, so I think the unique aspect of this goalie performing well, it's not like, I don't know, Carter Hutton coming in in St. Louis and having a few good games. Detroit is a team without a number one goalie. Nobody thinks now that Peter Morazic is the number one goalie. So you can easily convince somebody that they have Jimmy Howard. They're set for the year. And as to Elon, I know you think I'm stubborn about not changing my mind. Jimmy Howard has played nine games this year with a 945 save percentage. So great for him. Over the course of his 384 game career, a 915 save percentage. The last three years, he's been like a 909 goalie on average. Had a couple good years before that. And I did take a long time to give up on him. It's going to take me just as long to get back on board, especially at 945. Like if he was at 920 or even like 918, I might be a little more interested in saying, yeah, this is sustainable. We're going to see this last, but alas, that's not what I see. I see something insanely high. I know that's counterintuitive though. I I, I think that might be a bias that I need to fix in my evaluation <laughs> that's methods. Good. Why can't you just say, like, that's crazy. If he was doing worse, you'd be more confident in him moving forward. It's like, why can't you just say that he's a 945 right now? Maybe he's more like a 918. I think that's reasonable. I wouldn't be like, if he's 918, that means he could probably stay a 918. But if he's a 945, that means he's going to fall to like an 890. No, I'm not saying he's going to swing so hard back the other way. I'm just saying what we're seeing right now is clearly not the Jimmy Howard we can expect. A 918, 920 Jimmy Howard... Maybe I could get on board with 9.45. I can't. Okay, but uh, because I feel like if you're saying that you could see him being a 9.18, 9.20 goalie, that's good. That I'm, means not he's saying, good. I'm not saying I can see him doing that. I'm saying if he was doing that, I'd find that a little easier to swallow. Oh, my God. Okay, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. If anyone else underst- like is with me in how crazy this sounds, <laughs> let me it know is- because I... I, I, I'm going to grant you, like, I know I'm talking crazy right now. Like, I know it doesn't make sense if I could come up with a better analogy on the fly. I don't know. I, I know there's a bit of, like, fallacious thinking involved in how I'm evaluating this right now. But I'm still, bottom line, I'm not a believer in Jimmy Howard yet. I'm, I'm keeping an open mind. But 945 over nine games does not erase his last 200 games of sub mediocrity all right fine uh i okay well well, let's just move on from that i feel like i'm taking crazy pills here okay let's go to another outjury on another team that has a goalie that brian thinks sucks even though he's been doing well lately let's go to carolina justin falk has returned he had nothing to show for his first two games back aside from some shots and some hits and blocks he had a power play assist today so you know i don't know we already talked about him last week maybe he's not the 50 plus point fantasy stud that maybe some of us were expecting at one point but he's you know he's, he's good he takes shots he gives you those peripherals and i'm sure he's gonna get at least 40 like a 40 point pace maybe he could approach 50 um brian does deserve some credit sticking with carolina you called toivo terravina you name checked him right at the end of last show saying watch him he's been shooting more lately and man three games ago he had a goal and three assists against washington then he had a goal friday against montreal today terravina had another power play assist so he's been great and a lot of it is because he's on the top line with Victor Rask and Elias Lindholm and Victor Rask by the way three goals one assist in his last four games played and that's actually not including today and he had a power play goal today so you know he had that four game pointless streak after that amazing scoring streak to start the year now he's on another scoring streak or at least putting up a good number of points I really like Victor Rask Brian do you have anything to say about any of these uh, skaters on Carolina before we get into Cam Ward 
Uh, just that Rask is, he's the real standout of that group at even strength. Lindholm and Tara Vinen still have work to do, but yeah, they're worth being on your radars for cycling in or injury replacements, or I, I guess Tara Vinen is proving to be worth a little bit more than that at the moment. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you have a spot right now, of, I, I guess we'd have to think of the list, like, okay, like Justin Williams or Toivo Teravainen. I'm I'm currently going Toivo, even though Williams is the one on the top power play on Washington. I guess between Williams and Teravainen, I'll lean ever so slightly towards Teravainen, although I think Washington's going to score more goals. I'm just a little more assured of Teravainen's place on his team. Yeah, Teravainen's also a guy, when he was called up originally on Chicago, like, we had high hopes for him. I remember you were saying he was, like, a top prospect that we can expect points from. It didn't come in Chicago. Maybe, finally, it's going to happen here in Carolina. He had a slow start, but things are clicking for him now. All right, let's get into it. Let's just argue again. I, I'm not going to argue with you, because it's not even like I disagree, but it's just so fun to point out to you when these goalies that you don't like end up doing well. And Cam Ward has been amazing lately. You lost our draft competition because you loaded up on players playing against him. He has a 923 save percent over his last 10 games played. So this isn't just like a couple of games. Obviously, it's not a full season. Uh, he has a three-game winning streak. And actually, these numbers I'm telling you don't include today. So I guess it's a four-game winning streak now. He shut up the Sharks a couple of games ago. Brian, are you regretting dropping Cam Ward in the Cacuffle? I know you did that early on to hold on to Eddie Lack, who you since also dropped, of course, because he's the worst. But like, do you think that Cam Ward is just going to end up being bad again moving forward and kind of the same as the Jimmy Howard treatment? Like if you could sell high on him right now, go for it. Well, now that you said he has four good games in a row, that's really impressive. And maybe I should change my mind. You know, the last time he's had a run like this, I don't even know. Like just before the show, I was quickly rolling through game logs of his for the last three years and was never seeing him string together more than two or three quality starts at a time. Even like with a break of a game or two in between, there was still not a lot of sunshine in his numbers this year he's done something new good for him at even strength he's not even playing completely out of his mind still better than usual 924 at even strength so far this year compared to the 915 that he's been used to putting up over the last few years where he's seeing the biggest bump is on the penalty kill he is second in all of the nhl in short-handed save percentage with a 925 in that situation behind only jake allen if you're curious for context though uh, that 925 Cam Ward has been in the range of 840 to 885 in shorthanded save percentage over the last few years. And this isn't even like just a Cam Ward thing. Only three goalies finished above an 893 in that category last year. So I'm going to say sell high. I do have regrets of dropping him just as this run was starting. That is a shame. I'm sorry I missed out on all of it. But at the same time, I'm not going to regret dropping him in like a month or two by my own estimation all right that's fair so if he was a free agent in the couple right now would you be making a bid for him tomorrow it sounds like no if i needed a goalie start yeah i just feel like with howard this could collapse at any moment okay so pick one (laughs) who do you like better howard or or cam ward well it's hard because my rule of thumb is to stay away from goalies whose names end in (laughs) w-a-r-d so i'd really like to choose neither of them i used to like brian hayward But that's just because he played for Montreal and shared my first name. I don't think he was all that great himself. Uh, If I had to choose one, like you should leave that silence in there. That is me really. I'm frustrated because Cam Ward stinks and Jimmy Howard isn't much better. But Jimmy Howard at least has somebody ready to push him for that number one job. I'm sort of giving up on Eddie Lack 
in Carolina. So maybe I go with Cam Ward as somebody who's likely to see more starts the rest of the way, even after he crumbles. Brian, this is like even like just puts more of a point on how down you are on Jimmy Howard that you would even take Cam Ward over him. Like you're crazy. <laughs> Jimmy Howard is really good. <laughs> like, like Jimmy like, Howard is doing great. But what about my reason? My reasoning was that he's got a stronger backup. Do you not agree? Yeah, but I think Cam Ward is someone who we've seen in the past blows up your stats all the time. Jimmy Howard like hasn't been so, so bad. I don't know. Okay, I would take Jimmy Howard of the two. Okay, by the way, in the chat room, Dave just wrote Zook in big capital letters, which I assume means that Zuccarello scored. And I'm taking a look and it's assisted. Oh, actually, he had an assist. Oh, come on, Dave. You don't need to go capital letters for an assist. But it was a goal by Zabanajad, assisted by Zuccarello and Jimmy VC. Wow, Elon, this is all really compelling listening the day after this game is over that uh, Zuccarello got an assist. Brian, I have a point I'm going to make, which is this goes back to what we were talking about with JT Miller, who was on that line. And you were saying, I was trying to just give you a compliment and say you were already right that Jimmy BC clearly has gotten on to that line. And so, yeah, already it's looking like the Rangers are shuffling things around and JT Miller is back. Oh, okay. In that case, I'm really glad you brought it up. And I think I think I would like a redo. I'll take Jimmy Howard, I guess, because I just feel like I'm going to drop either one at some point. So for now, give me Jimmy Howard. Okay. And yeah, so today the lines for the Rangers, by the way, if you're curious, just to put a bow on that, I've been Kreider, Nash, and Stepan, and then VC, Zabanajad, and Zuccarello, and then Grabner, Hayes, and JT Miller. And it looks like JT Miller is also off the top power play. Jimmy VC's back there. So Brian, you're, you have sage advice, unless you're talking about Jimmy Howard. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Let's go on to some hot streaks before we end the show. Andre Markov. What? Where did this come from? He was pointless yesterday against Toronto, and that ended a seven-game point streak. He now has 14 points in 19 games on the season, tied for second in defenseman points with the likes of Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, Duncan Keith, and Kevin Shattenkirk, and he's only one point behind teammate Shea Weber. He's back to getting top power play time, and you know what? There was a point in the season where he was off the top power play and not getting many points after, I guess, like five or six games. I was considering dropping him in the couple. I was offered a trade of Alex Goligoski for him, which I was very very close to accepting. I'm really glad I didn't. I don't even have a question for you. I just wanted, I, how could I not mention this Andre Markov hot streak? Do you have anything to say about him? Yeah, a fair bit, actually. His even string shot attempts, unblocked shot attempts, and shots on goal per 60 minutes are all up around his most recent high watermark that he set back in 2014. That's a year that he finished with 50 points. His numbers in that season and this one so far, definitely his most productive going back at least 10 years. Now, you might be looking through his career numbers right now if you're really fast on your phone while you listen to the podcast. And you're saying, hey, Brian, his best two seasons were within those last 10 years in 2007, 2008. And the next year in 08, 09, he had 58 and 64 points in those seasons, respectively. And I will say, yes, you're absolutely right. But those points didn't come on the strength of his five on five production. They came on the power play. He had 32 power play points in the first year of that and 39 power play points in the second year of that. In fact, those were middle years of a run where for four straight years, 32 power play points was his floor. But now that Shea Weber is the trigger man on the power play, those way huge over 50 point days are all but out of reach. So it would be nice to see him with this bump and even strength production still getting to 50. That's what he did with P.K. Subban in the lineup two years ago when he was doing this well at even strength. And if he stays part of this successful Habs power play, that should help him on his way there. He really is doing the work, though, at even strength. Six goals on 24 shots so far. That gives him a shooting percentage, actually, about twice as high as it should be. 
but after a rough start to the season, he seems to be a near sure thing for 45, even with that slightly inflated shooting percentage. Dave in the chat room is saying, when I said, like, what do I even have to ask you about Markov? Like, he's like, sell high on Markov. Are you serious? Like, yeah, okay. If there's someone who thinks that he could be like a 60, 70 point defenseman or whatever pace he's on now, and if you could sell him for like, I don't know, I, I actually tried to make an offer for Roman Yosi, which got quickly rejected. But like, yeah, if you could make a trade like that, go for it. But I think you're right, Brian, that there's no reason to think he can't get between 45 and 50 points, just like he has been doing the last couple of seasons. I was worried about him getting dropped off the top power play, but if he could stay there, yeah. Yeah, why not? Especially since he's been good at getting the even strength points as well. Okay, on to Vancouver. Brandon Sutter has scored a goal in four straight games now. And this is a name that we bring up every once in a while. One of the many non-Sedine Vancouver players that we, you know, mention. They're doing well, then they disappear. But Brian, let me tell you, not only has Brandon Sutter been scoring goals, but he's been on the top line and the top power play with the Sedines. So it's not Erickson. It's not whoever else, you know, has been having a chance there lately. It's been Brandon Sutter and it is working. Like there's no reason to think they should drop him from there anytime soon. Like I said, he's on the top line with the Sedines. He's been on the top power play, getting all of these goals, like taking a good number of shots. Is Brandon Sutter a must add right now? Yeah, he is. Must add while he's there for sure. We liked what he was doing earlier in the year as well. So if there's something we've learned about Brandon Sutter this year, it's that he's capable of catching our attention. The question is, is he capable of maintaining it? I'll say he's worth a hard look for your roster, but with the usual Sedins or Bust caveat. So if he's not with the Sedins, then forget it. But while he's with them, he's doing a fantastic job of hanging with them. Also, Elon, I'm going to beat you to the punch. Troy Stetcher. I love Troy Stetcher. Since we're talking about the Canucks, I feel like I just need to add that in. I love him. I love him taking shots. I would love him even more if they went in. But he's had five consecutive games with three or more shots on goal. He was actually bumped off of the top power play last game for Ben Hutton, who did pick up a power play assist. And incredibly, that was just the fourth power play point picked up by any Vancouver defenseman so far this year. I wonder how many Washington has. I'm sorry I didn't check that before the show just to compare. Uh, Hutton is 30th in the league in power play points per 60 minutes amongst defensemen who have seen 25 or more minutes with the man advantage. Edler, Larson, and Stetcher all below him at the bottom. So I wonder if Ben Hutton gets a short look now because that worked. Uh, Granted, I remember that Dustin Bufflin, Mark Giordano, Drew Doughty, Brett Burns, they're all somehow lower than Edler and Larson in power play points per 60 minutes right now. Another thing to keep in mind with Stetcher, he doesn't get many other peripherals, so likely not worth your while if his shots on goal aren't going to do it for you. But keep him in mind, and I'm pretty sure you'll thank me one day, maybe a couple years down the road. Uh, well, okay. Troy Stetcher, sure. But back to Brandon Sutter, though. I'm too excited about him to like just like totally derail this to Troy Stetcher. Like, yeah, the shots are really good. He had 21 shots in his last five games played. That's amazing. So I, I guess before we had Tara Vinen above Justin Williams, how about Brandon Sutter versus Tara Vinen? Who would you take as the top FA of the show so far? I'll stick with Tara Vinen for the same reason I took him over Williams. Once Sutter is off the top line, he is nothing. Well, I mean... Whatever. Like, I feel like when you're picking up a bottom free agent like this, you're doing it for the short term. Like, assuming, let's say, you you have enough ads that you could, like, keep him for a week and then drop him. Would that change your mind? It's really hard to recommend anyone on Vancouver, but it's also pretty hard to recommend anyone on Carolina for the amount of goals they score. I'm going to go Brandon Sutter. At least he's going to get you those shots. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I'll still take Terravinen, even though I just pushed you to change your mind. Okay. Um. By the way, Dave in the chat, lots of great comments from Dave here. By the way, anyone listening, you could join us live 
every week if you want. We we always go live at 8 p.m. You just go to keepingcarlson.com slash live and it'll direct you to the live YouTube show. Uh, Dave asking if you should offer Markov to the struggling John Carlson owner. That might be a trade that you could pull off, especially with Carlson off the top power play. The question is, who would you want? Hmm. I don't know who I would want. Well, I think Dave already declined the potential trade of you offering him your Markov for his Carlson. Oh, okay. I don't even know if I would make that trade if Carlson's going to be off the top power play. I guess we assume he'll get back there. But if he were to not be there, I would take Markov on the power play versus Carlson off. Maybe that's going to sound really stupid in a couple of weeks. I guess if any of you Markov owners want to try to trade for Carlson, it's not like a crazy move to make. That would be very interesting. Brian, you didn't give an answer. By design. I don't know. I don't know who I'd prefer. I want Carlson if he's on the top power play unit. And I think that whole power play needs to get going. It's not his fault. It's not working. So I guess I would prefer John Carlson. Yeah, he'll probably get back there. He had he had so much value, but maybe you could even get Carlson plus something extra for Markov. The way things have been going, maybe that's what my answer will be. Like try to you know squeeze as much out of the Carlson owner as you can. Okay, let's go to Toronto. Got to mention JVR and Mitch Marner, who both had themselves quite the amazing weeks. They couldn't get anything by Carey Price yesterday, but their line centered by Tyler Bozak has been on fire lately. Toronto cream Nashville six to two and Florida six to one this week. And like JVR had three goals and assists versus Nashville, a goal and assist versus Florida. Marner right there with him. Goal to assist versus Nashville, a goal versus Florida. JVR and Marner are now leading the Leafs in points with 17 and 16 points respectively in 18 games. Brian, at the beginning of the season, you called Marner to lead Leafs rookies in points. And then you backed off of that prediction when Matthews and Nylander started so hot. Do you want to go back on that now? Now do you want to switch back to saying you think it's going to be Mitch Marner? Did I totally walk it back completely? I think I was saying it was a little quixotic of me, perhaps, to go with Marner over Matthews. But I still think I I stuck with it. Of course, I'd like to think (laughs) that was the case. He's been so good, right? JVR and Marner... There's three, actually three Toronto Maple Leaf players in the top six right now in even strength points per 60 minutes. Elon, can you guess the third? It's JVR, Marner, and? Uh, I don't know, Kadri? Tyler Bozak. Oh, oh, I should have guessed. They're centermen. Right. Yeah, they all play together. So it stands to reason. Uh, JVR and Marner, though, are unique in that they are fourth and seventh, respectively, in total points scored at even strength this year. What's more impressive about their point totals is that they each have just three power play points. So they're looking really good and everyone's getting really excited. And I love them both. And I hope they can both hit 60 points. But if you own one of these guys, their value is so high right now. You've got to make an effort to find someone in your league who thinks they're going to top 60 points. Then start talking to those guys and see what 65 plus point guys you can get back for them. All right, maybe you could just help us a little bit. Like, who's what's a name that you think you could try to ask for in exchange for JVR? I feel like anyone on the Predators, Philip Forsberg, maybe. Oh, okay, yeah, or Neil. Yeah, that's a good point. That would be a pretty nice trade for you to make. Okay, I guess since we're on Toronto, I'll also mention Morgan Riley. He's up to 11 points in 18 games and is finally getting that power play time that we were so like, why doesn't Morgan Riley get on the power play? Now he has, so he's good now. <laughs> like, definitely grab him if he's a free agent for some reason. If he was dropped because people thought, oh, he doesn't even get power play time, what's the point? Yeah, who would you prefer now, Elon Riley or Zaitsev? Oh, Riley, for sure. Zaitsev's been pretty quiet. Like, I'm very happy. You know, I, I don't know if you listeners remember, going into the season, I had this, like, my last defense spot in the kakuffle, and I had Zaitsev, and then the last minute I decided to switch him for Zach Wierenski. That was definitely one of the smartest moves I've made, and I definitely have to thank Peter Harling for the interview I did with him where he suggested that I make that swap. Okay, 
Brian, next hot streak guy, Marion Hosa. He's having a dream season right now. He's scored a goal in six of his last seven games. He's up to 17 points in 18 games on the season, which, by the way, is good for only fourth on the Blackhawks. Almost at a point per game, and you could only get fourth behind Patrick Kane, Artemi Panarin, and Artem Anisimov. I think that Hosa is going to be passing Anisimov soon because he's kind of slowed down. Brian, we talked about Hosa a little bit earlier when he was starting the season on a hot streak, and we were saying, like, sell high if you can. He won't be able to keep this up. Do you think, like, have you changed your mind about that at all? Or maybe he can keep up this production, like, not like a point per game, but do we think he can be like a 60, 65 point player this year? He's playing with Panarin and Anisimov, so he has good line mates. So I own him in one league. I actually owned him in two and then dropped him <laughs> foolishly. I don't know why I thought he was the worst player on my roster. I'm pretty sure Kemba Larry was still on my roster at that point, too. But I think that he can keep this up to some extent. You asked if he could be like a 60, 65 point guy. I'll take the lower end of that, but I'm still saying 60 points. Right now, he's riding a pretty high IPP at even strength, and that might be the worst thing I have to say about him. I mean, his even strength shooting percentage is is a fair bit higher than it's been in previous years, and regression is going to come. But to his credit, all the other numbers under the hood, they're not showing a guy who's slowing down as dramatically as many imagined a soon-to-be 38-year-old Marion Hosa would. He certainly did not deserve the very poor half point per game pace he had last year. I think it was 33 points in 64 games and he was just snake bitten. And I want to believe he can still get to 60. It might be a little easier to really surmise once the dust settles a bit more from this crazy pace he's on right now before making that declaration that he is definitely going to be a 60 point player. But I think he's got it in him to beat 55 points at least, which if he managed it, would make him the ninth player aged 38 or older in the last 10 years to finish a season with that many points. Yarmir Yager and Marty St. Louis, the only other guys to do it in the last three years. And yeah, I do think Hosa can add his name to the list, especially with such a hot start. Like he doesn't need to have a 55 point pace the rest of the year at this point to be able to get there since he's already so much of the way there. I think his biggest enemy would be his own body and injuries he's already missed a little bit of time this year we'll see if he can stay healthy yeah i guess that's the big thing with him but yeah those are three great hall of famers there and yeah why shouldn't marion hosa join that list brian i thought maybe you would have said maybe if hosa was currently putting up a 60 point pace you'd be more confident in him being able to do it but since he's putting up an 80 point pace he's probably just going to end up with like 50 or 40 (laughs) (laughs) i have nothing i have no response okay and by the way, we should mention Artemi Panarin. We were talking about him in the offseason and saying he's good, but like we don't really know how good because we don't know how he would do without Patrick Kane. He's been with not playing with Patrick Kane for a lot of this season, and he has 18 points in 19 games. So Artemi Panarin, definitely the real deal. Doesn't matter who his line mates are. Clearly, he's capable of putting up his own offense. Like, I mean, unless you want to say it's Marion Hosa that's carrying him, but I don't think so. Artemi Panarin is fantastic. Let's go to Edmonton. This is not really a guy on a hot streak, but it's a guy who I want to mention just because there's a new player playing with Connor McDavid. Pat Maroon has been bumped from that role and insert Jesse Puliyarvi. And he actually assisted on two of McDavid's three goals yesterday. McDavid got a hat trick. He's awesome. Let's not even talk about him. But Jesse Puliyarvi, someone who I kind of had forgotten about. Like he was healthy scratch for some games and really not doing anything in Edmonton. All of a sudden on this great line, anyone has been able to put up points with McDavid. So I don't see why a blue chip prospect like Puliyarvi 
shouldn't be able to do something. I think he's worth a short-term ad while he's there. And if you look at the lines, I will also Lucic is back with McDavid. It's been McDavid, Lucic, and Pugliarvi, and then Eberly with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Pat Maroon. So actually Maroon doesn't get dropped back to the fourth line. Like maybe you would have thought he would. He's still in the top six. So maybe there's still some value there. You don't have to like drop him immediately if you added him. Then you've got Dreisaitl, Cassian, and Slepyshev on the next line, but Dreisaitl's still on the top power play, but he hasn't really done much. I'd rather have Pugliarvi than Dreisaitl, I think, right now. Of course, this is, again, one of these short-term ads until he gets dropped, unless you're in a keeper league, in which case there's maybe some more value for Pugliarvi. We were asked by a patron recently, who's his bottom player? And I looked at his roster, and I said Pugliarvi, probably. And he was like, oh, I drafted him really high because it's a keeper league. And I was like, ah, that's okay. I think you could probably drop him because it was only like a keep six or keep seven. But, you know, while he's with Connor McDavid, definitely don't drop Jesse Pugliarvi, right? Yeah, right. Same way as Patrick Maroon. You shouldn't have dropped him while he was with McDavid as well. Remember, Elon, there's somebody who had a trade on the table, their Maroon for someone else's Lucic. And they're like, no, I'm keeping Maroon. There's no way I would trade him for Lucic. Now that he's without McDavid, I suppose maybe there's a little bit of regret. Although Lucic, not doing so well himself, pointless in his last six games played. Right, yeah, but he's back in that good spot, so hopefully he'll be able to do something. He's also on the top power play. Jordan Eberle, 13 points in 19 games. Not horrible, but I don't know. I guess people were really excited about a breakout year for Eberle playing with McDavid, but he's also now not on the McDavid line. Like I said, he's playing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Pat Maroon. Should people be concerned? Should Jordan Eberle owners be concerned right now? What breakout does he need to have? He's had 63 and 65 points in recent years he was on a similar pace last year he's had a 76 point season there's no breakout for Everly coming we just can count on him to be a 60 plus guy right now he's on a 56 point pace which maybe concerns some people those four missing points but the good news is that he's shooting just nine percent at the moment which is not very good for him he's used to shooting higher than that uh, so his shooting percentage is going to get better so will his goal totals he's still averaging nearly three shots on goal per game no big deal. Okay, yeah, I, I meant more just because he's not playing with McDavid, but I think he'll still be fine also. Okay, final stop of the night, unless you want to go somewhere else, but I want to go to Winnipeg and talk about Marco Dano and Nick Patan, who have been playing with Blake Wheeler recently. Of course, the top line has been line A with Ehlers and Mark Shifley, and they've got Dano with Patan and Wheeler, and that's going to change soon because I think Brian Little's going to be back. But for the short term, each of those guys has three points in their last four games played. We got a tweet from at Braden Watling saying, at Keeping Carlson, player suggestion if I may, Patan getting great looks and is producing while there are injuries. Get him while he's hot. And I was like, good call. I'll mention him on the podcast. Here it is, Brian. Is it worth looking at either of Marco Dano or Nick Patan right now? Nick Patan is the one that probably interests me the most of those two. He's playing with Blake Wheeler. Doesn't get a ton of shots on goal, though. So if he's not putting up points, he's not doing a whole lot. He had a couple of power play points uh, maybe a week ago, but still quiet on that front generally. All right. So, you know, some of these free agent, potential free agents we've talked about, like Brandon Sutter and Justin Williams and, and whoever, like, would you put Marco Dano and Nick Patan like below those guys? Jesse Pugliarvi? Yeah, actually, I had Patan ranked as somebody I wanted to pick up for my roster today to try and win a couple categories at the end of the week. And I initially had him second or third amongst the list of seventh. He ended up down at like sixth out of that list of seventh behind Sam Gagne. So not somebody I'd put a high priority on. Although if you're in a keeper league, this could be an option if he's somehow available and it's a deep enough keeper league that he's relevant. All right. By the way, Dougie Hamilton has two assists today now against Detroit. So, and Chad Johnson's looking like he's going to maybe get another win. But anyways, maybe I shouldn't be giving all of these updates for people that are going to listen to the show tomorrow. And it will have been like a four to two Detroit win. Brian, 
Oh, wait, I have one more thing I want to ask you about. Since we're in Winnipeg, I guess we could call it at this point on Hellebuck versus Hutchinson. Hellebuck is clearly the starter, right? He's played seven of the last nine games. He has a 918 save percentage over the last month. I feel like probably no one was wondering if it was still going to be a timeshare. I know the season started that way, but I just wanted to throw it out there. Seems to me like it's over. Hellebuck wins. Yeah, he's strung together four quality starts, which should be all it takes to make him the number one, or at least the very clear number one A, if you still want to hold a little bit of pessimism or caution towards it. The truth is, though, he's still been inconsistent, aside from those four quality starts that he's just rattled off. He has a 9-10 save percentage on the year, bottom five goalie in the league, and even strength save percentage. Well, he definitely has the opportunity. I think he's the starter, so hopefully he can build on that and get out of that bottom five. All right, Brian, I'm good. Are you good? I'm good, but I'd like to finish, actually, Elon, so I'm not good. There's a (laughs) snoozer that I want to get in ahead of the curve on. We've told you that Panic was a snoozer. We told you to hang on to Hosa. Artem Anisimov, I'm calling him a snoozer. He's still got a point-per-game pace, but that's incredible because he has just one point in his last five games, and in four of those five games, he has no shots on goal at all. I think he had one in the other, maybe two, and there's still more regression still to come. Some call him a snoozer. Put him in snoozeville. You don't need him. (laughs) All right, well, if you have Anisimov... Maybe you can still try to trade him to someone who's just looking at the overall point totals and be like, I have a Piper game guy. I'm going to give you a discount, though. I'll trade him for like a 60-point guy because I'm a nice guy. I don't know. Maybe if you could pull something like that off. I don't know if you necessarily need to drop him yet, but probably soon, right? I think soon, like a lot of you who were holding steady on panic for a while, his own percentage must be so much lower right now than it was even a week or two ago. I imagine the same thing happening to Anisimov. I mean, he's still in a very good spot in the lineup. The difference between him and Panic is that Panic drops out of the top six. Anisimov's going to stay there. But the reminder I constantly offer is that he was there all of last year and managed a half point per game pace. There's going to be little runs where you'll wish you had him on your roster. But for the most part, he's not going to do a whole lot for you. Yeah, I agree. Basically, same as last year, probably. I think he's like a good solid, like you could get. 40 to 45, maybe 50 point pace out of him, but I wouldn't expect much more than that. Brian, this has been fun. I've really enjoyed this show and we've gone long like always, but I think we covered a lot of guys, covered all those injuries and then talked about some hot streak guys. If you like the show, let us know. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any feedback. Also, if you want to help support the show, you could go to iTunes, give us a five-star review. That's always much appreciated. That helps out the show. You can also look into becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson. If you want to sustainably help the show, buy Brian or I a beer at a pub once a month. $5 a month gets you a good feeling of knowing you're supporting your favorite best fantasy hockey podcast. And you also get access to our patron-only Facebook group where you can chat with Brian and I and all of the patrons of Keeping Carlson talking about all of our rosters and decisions. And it's always a lot of fun and a lot of help. It's nice to be able to post a question and get like five, 10 people responding and helping you out, including Brian and myself. Also, we have our monthly Patreoncast, which is coming up this Thursday. So now's the time to become a patron. So you can join us for the Patreoncast. It's a bonus episode where we answer all of your questions. We don't stop until all the questions are answered. So it's a lot of fun. So if you're interested in becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. That's all I've got, Brian. So how about we cue the outro music? And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? Before I do, Elon, sorry, you've already cued the music, perhaps. Okay, cut the music. Cut the music. Okay, we have Chad Johnson against Jimmy Howard in Detroit. If Jimmy Howard loses this game, what do you think of him? <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not Jimmy Howard's fault that 
Detroit has only scored one goal. He's not having a bad game. He has a 917 save percentage on the night so far. Okay, so maybe he can be a 917 goalie and still lose because he plays for Detroit. All right, this episode uh, of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Wait, no, let me interrupt you now. Let me interrupt you now. Cut the music again. So if Jimmy Howard ends the game with a 917 average, does that mean that you like him better? <laughs> like him better or consider what he's doing more sustainable, right? Like if there's a huge gap between what we expect and what he's achieving, then we assume there's something really abnormal going on. But if it's a small gap, maybe it's a manageable gap that he's actually created himself, that he's taken a small step up, a step up this big is not believable. Okay. So like, this is better. They're losing two to one. If he had a shutout, you know, that wouldn't be good. But since they're losing two to one, it's like, okay, he's okay. You could add him. All right. Anyways, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? I'm not making any decisions based on one night of play. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast is presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. Thanks everyone for joining us. We'll catch you all next week. And thanks also to our latest patrons who I forgot to mention just now. Jeremy T, Jade B, Matthew D, Chris L, Ronnie S, Matthew S, and Paul B. Welcome aboard. Glad to have you in the Facebook group and with us supporting the show. To you guys and everybody else, until next time, keep on keeping Carl's song. <laughs>